why are we looking at this question of what does it mean to be a church community? And as I was thinking about it, uh, yes, it's deceptively a simple question, isn't it? Um, Deceptively simple. What does it mean to be a church community? It means to be together in Christ. But what does that mean? And it opens up so many questions for us. And um, particularly, it's been really tough a couple of years. We all know that with COVID, that has meant church community has not been as easy and as straightforward as it has been um, before that. Um, but, you know, as I think about that, that is a, I don't think my own reflection on it is that it's never been that easy for us. And, and I wonder whether you reflect on that, what it means to be a church community, um, particularly the size of church we are, how do you get to know people, how do you actually, what does it mean to be together, uh, and all those kind of questions um, that that then brings. And speaking personally, I, I actually find, I, I'll be really honest with you, I find it quite difficult at times. I, you may, I've been here, what, seven years? And for me, um, yeah, I'm actually quite an intensely private person. So my naturalness is to, to not share, not necessarily open up about life and what's going on and it doesn't mean to say, is that what church community is about? Is that what it means to be? Is it about sharing your life and what's going on in it? Others amongst us, I'm sure, are much better at sharing and looking for help and supporting one another and all those kind of questions. So um, that's my own reflection on it, is that I don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs> And I'm your vicar. <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm here to learn and to come before God and to say, how can we do this better? Guys, come in. Come in. Sounds like the cricket's over. Did we win? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Um, and church cricket is a, a, a kind of community thing. It's a, it's a fellowship thing. So that is my very brief introduction. Um, I'm here to learn and, uh, and to come before God and ask him, how, what does that mean for us? It's a beginning of a conversation. It's not an end because it's something that goes on and on. So um, with that, I'm going to... Am I handing over to Isaac first, I think? Good afternoon. Afternoon. Um, my name is Isaac. Um, I am married to Hannah and we've got a daughter, she's called Alana Um, and um, I'm excited but also I think it's it's a massive privilege to be helping, for me to be helping us think about community and belonging Um, it's something that I've been thinking about the last 15 years um, especially because um, I come from a totally different culture to here but also that English is not my first language, not even my second language or third language. It's my fourth language. So um, belonging and community is something that I had to really, really think about and engage. So um, it's a privilege for us, for me, uh, to be here leading you into that. Um, I'm going to pray now, then we'll begin. Lord, we do thank you for today. 
We pray that you'll open our hearts, you'll open our minds, and that you'll speak to us, Lord, as we reflect upon belonging and community. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you've probably heard of the proverb, um, the African proverb that says it takes a whole village to raise a child. Um, um, probably have of it. If you've not heard of it, this is sort of an African proverb, and it's sort of um, every culture has a version of it in most of African tribes. Um, and I think for the last two or three years, I've been hearing this proverb being spoken about more and more often, especially here in the West. And I think the reason why it's become more popular and popular is that because it captures something or it paints a picture of something fundamental, of an ideal that we, we sort of agree on and also sort of long for. And I was thinking about this. What are some of those pictures that that proverb sort of attempts to picture? And these are some of mine, what I was thinking about. It paints a picture of a whole community sort of coming together and building trust between members. The other thing is that picture of each member in the community needing one another, learning to to get along and forgiving mistakes when um, forgiving mistakes when we hurt each other. And the last one, uh, this one is very close at home, is when that, that picture of a child learning to love his community and looking out for his friends, family, and neighbor. And when I listed all these things, I realized that actually this proverb, in some ways, in this sense, captures one of our deepest longings as human beings, and that is community. You see, People have a God-given longing for intimate community, for intimate relationship, that deep longing to belong and have community around us, but also experience home. But living in this strange world, as soon as you, you turn on your TV and as soon as you open your favorite mobile app, you know, you're told or convinced that you can do just fine by yourself. You don't need anyone else. In fact, we are told and convinced that independence is a virtue. It's a virtue that we have to cultivate at all cost. And sadly, as Christians, we have bought into this message of independence, independence. Take, for example, the way we organize our lives. We organize our lives in a way that we... We do not want to bother anyone else or inconvenience anyone else. We, we, don't, we don't want anyone else to owe us. And in turn, a lot of the times we hope that we are not bothered or inconvenienced. We have a plan and we want to stick to it and we want for it to work as we planned. We all want to look like we've got it sorted, handled, and we want to look... Uh, and feel like we are independent. But you see, as Christians, when we fail to understand the need for community, then we've actually been influenced by the culture more than we realized. You see, as, as Christians or believers in Christ, 
we acknowledge our dependence to some degree that we recognize that we're hopelessly lost in sin and we need Christ to save us. But frequently, we don't, we fail to recognize how much we need other Christians. But scripture does not make this mistake. In fact, many of the notable passages tell us constantly that we need one another. Take, for example, the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. The first commandment Jesus tells us is, love your God. And the second one, love others. Or take another profound picture of community in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You see, if you read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, you'll notice that the believers then did not only gather on Sunday, but they spent time together. They spent time in each other's homes, breaking bread and sharing life together. Which brings us to the question, how do we build a church community that we long for, a church community that glorifies the Lord? There are three things I would like to suggest that will help us reflect upon that. And the first one is, Church community is a fruit of worshipping Jesus Christ. Church community is a fruit of worshipping and exalting Jesus Christ. You see, the aim, you see, the community is not our aim as a church. We don't aim to form a community. No, Christ is. Christ is our aim. And if we find him, or rather if he finds us, then that community that we love, that we long for, naturally flows. Again, if you look back in Acts, you see that the fellowship that new believers or the disciples had together was not, you know, was not a desire just for the fellowship's sake, no, but it was for the gospel of Jesus dying and rising again on the cross. In fact, they stayed in Jerusalem to hear the teaching of the apostles just because of the gospel, Christ dead, Christ risen. Paul shared his whole life with them, especially the church in Thessalonica. He lived with them, but that's not what united them. It wasn't Paul's love, or it wasn't their love. It was the gospel. As Paul says in Thessalonians 1, to chapter 1, verse 5, the gospel came not only in word, but also in power and in Holy Spirit, and, and with full conviction. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that when we put Christ at the center of everything that we do, then that community that we love, that community that we long for, that deep, intimate relationship follows through, is it, follows through naturally because we're united in love with Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that I would like us to help us. And the second thing that I'd like to suggest is that Church is more than just a community. It is a family. If you can open your Bibles and look in John chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all he did not receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave them the right to become children of God. Oh, yeah, that example, that very good example that illustrates this is in Galatians 
chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. I'm going to read the New Living Translation because I think it captures this very well. It says, God sent him to buy freedom from us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of, of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. What a privilege. We are children of God, the most high God. We belong. Meaning that when you look around this church right now, and you look to your right, to your left, or back, or front, that is your brother, that is your sister, united in Christ. And all we here, we can call out to God and say, Father. You see, relationships become deeper and richer and more meaningful when our ultimate confidence is in Christ, not in one another, but in Christ, because we can call God our Father and we belong, and there is no doubt about that. And as a church family, we primarily exist to remind each other, to remind us that the fountain of life can truly and truly and truly be found in Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone of God. Church community is more than just a community. It's a family. You're my brother, and you're my sister. That's incredible, isn't it? And the third thing to help us think about community is we are called to live for one another. You see, living in a local church is, is, is messy. Um, it's, not, it's not always straightforward. And sometimes there is friction. And we all have experienced some hurt or disappointment in one way or the other. But Jesus, Jesus understands it more than anyone. He knows, he understands the cost of living in a community. He entered this messy world, this messy broken world, and he killed him. He killed him. So he does understand the cost. So if you and me and you are to embrace this real community, it will entail crucifixion at our part two. You see, this will mean dying to ourselves, dying to our desires, dying to our expectations, and dying to our preferences. But the good news is that we know at the other side of crucifixion, there is resurrection. We die to self now in order to enjoy true life forever. So I'd like to challenge you and challenge myself that you know, let's radically go out and talk to that person who drives us crazy. There is always that one person who drives us crazy, who, after talking to them or her, we feel absolutely drained and we don't want to do it next Sunday. Um, oh, let's invite that awkward person in our homes that no one else approaches and talks to. Let's invite them. Let's talk to them. Let's walk into church seeking to engage 
with a visitor in conversation. Let's go beyond sports and weather and politics. Let's discuss how this gospel intersects with our own lives, our families, our marriages, and our jobs and whatever it is. And the more we do this, in our, the more these sorts of interactions happen in church, the more we will be drawn into that wonderful love of God. Amen. My name is Janelle. I've been here with my husband, Soren, and children for about seven years, just a couple months longer than Eddie. And I can regularly be found singing up in the worship band or walking on the pilgrimage or journey, in case I look familiar and you're not sure where from. But whether I look vaguely familiar or whether we've known each other for years, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Because this is an important topic. It's essential to our beings and to our community. In fact, regardless of what our culture pushes us towards, the need for trusting close community is clearly recognized both in ancient biblical truths and in today's neuroscience findings. Belonging is a deeply felt need. But because it's so inherent, so natural to each of us, we all come into tonight with our own perspectives on what it means to belong, which can be very much shaped by our experiences. I, for one, have wonderful, loving Christian parents, and yet I was bullied by other children from a very young age. That leaves me with a firm grasp of unconditional love, alongside an agonizing fear that I may never really belong. This might sound familiar to some of you, and it might sound completely crazy to others, but as we think tonight about community and belonging, remember that it means something, and maybe something slightly different to each of us. So what should Christian community look like? So as I pondered this question, two of my favorite verses, Romans 12, 1-2, came to mind. Um, I would recommend joining me and turning to Romans 12 on page 1139 in the, in the Bibles we have here, because we're going to be looking at this chapter for a while. Here are those verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that passage. And the first thing that came to my mind was, Lord, what does this have to do with community? And then I read the rest of the chapter. So we're going to do this. All right, ready. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance to the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. 
If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow, what a chapter. I am so tempted to do a mic drop and just walk away. I mean, look at that, all right? But... I just, I love the burning coals metaphor. It's just classic, classic. All right, now in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul had written extensively about God's incredible grace by which he has saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, offering our bodies as living sacrifices and being transformed by the renewing of our minds are the appropriate responses to grace. And everything that follows, everything that we just read, is what that looks like. So if we look back at what we've read, being a living sacrifice doesn't necessarily mean selling all of your possessions and moving, flying to another city or country to tell people about Jesus. It means loving people that he has given you. And I don't just mean your family or your particular friends. I don't know if you caught it in verse 5. In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. If you follow Jesus, we have been given to one another. We, you and I, belong to one another. Just by virtue of the fact that we have accepted God's grace. For those of us who have our doubts about our belonging, this is huge. I do belong here, and nothing can change that. Nothing. Just by, or, sorry, yeah, just by virtue of the fact that we've both accepted God's grace. But there's also a challenge here. Do I love you as if you belong to me? Do I think of myself with sober judgment, rejecting my pride and being willing to rub shoulders with those of a lower position than me? How do I make an effort to understand my own strengths and weaknesses, listening to the feedback of others? Do I share my gifts with you, encouraging and teaching or leading you so that you may be built up and strengthened in your knowledge of Christ? Do I downplay my strengths, assuming someone else will step in? 
Do I love you sincerely and with devotion, honoring you above myself? How can I get better at listening to you, seeking ways in which I can help to meet your needs? Do I rejoice with you when you rejoice and mourn with you when you mourn? How do I respond well when you're experiencing joy that I wish for or difficulty that I haven't been through before? Do I share readily with you when you're in need and show hospitality to you? Are there things that get in the way from me pitching in or having you around? Am I joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer? What would my family think about this or my colleagues? Do I repay evil with good? What would it look like if we all truly forgave each other within the church? Now, I might be less terrible at some of these than others, but praise the Lord, hallelujah, that I'm not the example that we should all be looking to. And if you know him, you know who is. Jesus Christ saw my weaknesses and yours. He saw my selfishness, my pride, my fear. He saw the evil in each of us, and he took the punishment for that wickedness upon himself, dying a gruesome death so that we can belong to him and to each other. True community is not about liking the same kind of worship music or having a full calendar of really well-organized events or being a happy place with a good vibe. True community begins when we fall to our knees thanking the Lord our God from the depths of our souls for the privilege of belonging. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we could be here together tonight. I thank you for that amazing grace that you've given us and that we belong to you and that we can love each other, Lord. And I pray as we go into these conversations and and think about the questions we have, I pray that you would fill us and guide us through that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, both of you, for that. That's really... um thoughtful, considered um, uh, talks that you've given us. Thank you. I've written down quite a few things. We're, we're going to just spend uh, a few minutes now um, having our refreshments, and um, there's, a, there's a few questions up here. Um, don't feel constrained by these questions. If you want to use different questions, that's fine, but these might just help you and prompt you in, in, on your tables. So how would you describe the church community at St. John's? What's, what's it like? Um, chat about that. And then think about what barriers have you encountered um, while engaging at church community or have stopped you from engaging at St. John's? And then thirdly, how, how can we think about blessing others as uh, we've been hearing at, here at St. John's?